by asking you a question to think about in your own mind the answer. Right now, if you closed your eyes and thought about this question, what would your answer be? What does God think of you right now? What does God think of you right now? We'll come back to the answer to that question. Last week, though, we began to study the the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. And so Paul had gone out and preached the gospel message that we have been talking about and will continue to talk about, this message that I have good news, that God saves sinners and makes them right with himself through his own death, burial, and resurrection. It is a gift from God, a meritless salvation, not one that can be earned, but one that is received as a gift. And as people heard that and believed and were drawn to God through Jesus, they began to met and began to meet and began to study the word of God and began to understand the the gospel message that was preached. Paul then established them and organized them as a church, gave them leaders, and he headed back to his hometown. And apparently, just as soon as he gets back in town, he hears that some false teachers have come to the churches and are clarifying Paul's teachings a little bit. And I think that's probably how it went. I think they were probably sincere Sincere teachers that were trying to sincerely help these people follow God and they were sincerely wrong. But I think they came and they said, listen, I know what, Jesus, what, what Paul told you. That Paul said, if you trust in Jesus as the, the only sufficient Savior, His merit alone, then you're right with God. But each day you've got to obey the law to to stay in that right standing with God. That's probably the best case scenario of their message. Maybe it was worse. Maybe their message was, well, Jesus is the Messiah, but you've got to have Jesus and the law. You've got to obey and trust Jesus to be right with God. One of the two messages, in either case, they were adding a little bit of element, a little new element to the formula. Paul's formula was Jesus alone. It's a, you can't earn anything with God. Your best day earns nothing with God. And so it's Jesus alone every day with God. And these false teachers have come in and said, well, you also have to obey the law to be in right standing with God. And so this message is being challenged by these false teachers. And Paul writes this letter that we're studying in response to that false teaching. And what we need to understand is that this letter is written to believers. We'll see in a minute, it was written to those who received, Paul says, you received what we preached. And so everything he is saying to them as the churches, believers in the Galatian area, those who received this gospel message, these are instructions to believers. That's important to understand because if you're like me, you tend to think the gospel is for unbelievers. The gospel is what gets you saved and then we move on to obedience. And he's saying, no, that's exactly what I'm trying to address. And we have to understand there's a place for obedience. It's not throwing that out. And that's what, that's what I want to say to you. If, if this stuff is glancing off your head and it's not really disturbing you, then 
either you've got it right, like Paul, which I think most of us don't, or you think this is not really a message to you, it's to unbelievers, and you're going, well, good, I'm glad he's preaching to those unbelievers. If you're getting what Paul's saying to you as a believer, and he's teaching the gospel to you as a believer, it should be disturbing you a little bit. I should be having more conversations like I had this morning after the first service where that person was saying, I, I, just, I just have had it all wrong. And, and, and she's a believer, but she's had it wrong. As a believer, there's a way to, to, to misunderstand. We're going to see the gospel that it, that it has detrimental effects in our life. And so what we see, Paul is addressing that and he's saying... This gospel is an amazing message of grace. That's why we sing amazing grace. It is amazing, unmerited favor. That's the message. Is you can't merit favor with God, but guess what? Jesus merited all the favor of God for you. And you can have it as a gift. I want to plug a book. It's a creative title. Gospel. It's written by J.D. Greer, G-R-E-E-A-R, J.D. Greer. And the subtitle is Recovering the Power That Made Christianity Revolutionary. If you want to understand what we've said, if you want revival in your life, if you want to come in here and be, whoa, I thought I understood all this. Study Galatians, read his fleshing out of the gospel for believers, and you will never be the same. It's two bucks, I think, on iPad. Noran said you can get it for about two bucks to get it on your iPad. She'll have some in the, in the bookstore. Uh, if anybody needs one and, and needs help, I will buy you a copy. Whatever it takes, get a copy of the Bible and the gospel. <laughs> J.D. Greer. So... Paul is amazed by the gospel. It's revolutionary. And he's saying to believers, it is amazing grace, a message of amazing grace to you as believers. But in our verses 6 through 10, Paul is amazed for some different reasons. Paul is really amazed by what's going on back at the churches in Galatia. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, He is to be accursed. And that's anathema. Verse 9. As we have said before, I say again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Father, please help us this morning because I know that we need your power. We admit it, that when we hear these words, gospel and obedient, they're all words that we've already defined in our mind and 
and they're so familiar that, that we're numb to this message. And we need your help, Lord, to open our eyes and our ears that we might hear as believers again this revolutionary gospel that it would revolutionize our life. It would transform us and set us free to be all that you've created us to be. It's in Christ's glorious name we pray. Amen. Now, typically when you read a letter that Paul writes, the beginning of the letter is introductions. Paul, an apostle, we saw that last week, sent not, now that was abnormal, sent not by man, but by God. I want you to understand, I'm not coming from man's authority, I'm coming from directly from the authority of God and Christ, the one who raised from the dead, the one who died for your sins to rescue you from this present evil age. We talked about that last week. Now this week, normally what he would do in his letter is say, and I thank you so much. I've heard about your faithfulness and your faithfulness is spreading all throughout Thessalonica and the people are rejoicing because of your faithfulness. Thank you. That's usually what comes next. Instead, Paul says, I am amazed at you. So we see there's a different tone here. We're going to look at these four aspects of Paul's amazement in this this letter. First of all, aspect number one is Paul is amazed at how quickly they drift. Paul is amazed at just how quickly they drift. Apparently, look at verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting. Apparently, these events happened just when Paul got back in town. He, it was like when I went down to New Orleans to check on those guys and see how they're doing down there. And I say, yeah, man, y'all are doing it. This is awesome. The gospel's right. I come home, and as soon as I get home, I get a call. Man, they're teaching a different gospel up there. I'd be like, what? I was just there. They had it all right. I'm sure Paul is thinking, man, I, just, I can still hear the, the worship songs we were singing, that, that we've been rescued by the blood of Christ alone, and, and they had it right. How, I'm amazed at how quickly they've drifted from the message. Now, in the English, it's a little hard to pick up on, but in the Greek, the, the word drifting or deserting there is, is a passive or middle. It means that they are either allowing themselves to be removed from this truth or they are being removed from this truth. This is not an active act of rebellion. These churches aren't saying, oh, wait, never mind. Paul's gospel was wrong. We're going to go to a different gospel. They think that they are still with the same gospel. They think they're still right on track. And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm amazed at how quickly you're allowing yourself to, to drift away from the true gospel. You, as believers, you, you are the ones who have received my message that we preach to you. You are so quickly drifting away from the truth. The implication here is that as believers, we quickly drift from the truth. Now, it's not quickly drifting where we're losing our salvation. It's quickly drifting in the sense that we quickly lose the benefits, the enjoyment, the freedom, the joy, the the worship that overflows in our life when we get the gospel. We we drift a little bit back into a merit-based system where our works actually earn something with God. And he's saying, I am amazed at how quickly that happens. 
It, it just, I was just with you. In fact, he uses in 3.1 this word bewitched. He says, you've been bewitched, Galatians. You've been deceived. You've been led astray. You, you know the truth. Don't drift from it. And man, I just was there and you had it right. I think this is very, very important for us. You know, when you start hearing, we're going to go through Galatians, you're like, boring. 18 weeks talking about the gospel that I trusted when I was 3 or 6 or 8 or 10 or 12. We, our default position is merit-based righteousness. We wake up every day thinking, I got to do something for God today to be right with God. And if I don't do those things that I've determined make me a good Christian, then it affects my standing with God. And if I do those things, I feel good about my standing with God. If I don't do those things, I start to despair about my standing with God. But I have ingrained within me a desire, a belief about myself. I think so highly of myself that I think I can earn some merit with God. I don't realize that it's like an apple tree that has been planted in soil that's got nuclear contaminant in it. That even the beautiful apples that it produces are poisonous. I don't understand that. I think that when I do good, it earns something with God. And I just can't believe. Otherwise, it's so hard to believe it. It's like floating down a river on the Buffalo River in your canoe, and there's this undercurrent of works that's always pulling. And if I ever relax and quit guarding my heart, I start drifting to works-based righteousness. And it starts to pay consequences in my life. So what does God think about you right now? Your answer to that question probably depends on how well you climb the ladder that you created. I know Jesus saves me. And I know he makes me right with God. But if... I trust Jesus and memorize a lot of scripture. I know I'm a little better off with God. If I witness, hey, upper echelon. If I don't sin those sins that I know seem to be the ones that get me, I am in good shape with God. But if I was busy and those goals I set for quiet time with my family didn't happen this week, or if I'm off at college like I was and didn't hardly have a quiet time, despair. What do I think God thinks about me now? I don't even want to think about it. And then if I, that was just sins of omission. What if I committed sins? What if I participated in that sin that seems to entangle me, that I, I hate, but I just don't seem to have the power to, to, to overcome it. Whew. 
I don't even want to go in church so that they won't ask me what God thinks about me. The gospel says that if you have received the gift of righteousness in Christ, no matter what, what does God think about you? He thinks you're awesome. He thinks you are the bomb. He thinks you're perfect. He loves you, embraces you, fully accepts you. That's the gospel. That's radical. That's revolutionary. But that's the gospel. And that's what we as believers don't want to believe all the time. It's so easy for us to drift. if We so quickly drift away from that. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, you're, whoa, 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 pastor. I know the Bible says you should obey. So what are you saying here? We're going to try to explain this and flesh this out. Yes, but why are you obeying? What is the motivation behind your obeying? Are you thinking that you are working for Christ or do you understand that Christ worked for you? And that is all the difference in the world. How quickly we get away from the gospel. That's why the Puritans, John Owens, made famous the saying, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Preach this gospel to yourself daily because you wake up drifting down the, the, the stream of workspace righteousness. Every day you've got to wake up, but one Puritan said, you need to picture the sin because you're going to picture it anyway. So picture the sin in a sack on your back, this heavy burden that you're carrying that you did last night or that you know that you're going to do or whatever's on your mind, this sin. And then picture yourself taking that burden and casting it on Jesus' shoulders. And he says, I got that. Every single day. He takes your sin and then he gives you righteousness. What an amazing exchange. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how quickly we drift from that truth. So the first aspect of Paul's amazement is he's amazed at how easily they drift from the truth. The second aspect of Paul's amazement is he's amazed that they would desert God himself. Look what he says in verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Some translations would have that a little differently. I'm so amazed at how quickly you would desert Christ. In either case, he equates deserting the gospel message as deserting God himself. That's a major claim to believers whom he has said have received this message. And he says in 1 Peter, we read that 1 Peter 5.10, that God is called the God of all grace. That God in his very essence is a God of grace. So when you leave the message of grace, you are leaving the message of God himself. When you decide that you need to do a little something to merit a little favor with God, basically what you're saying is, Christ, you didn't need to die on the cross. I got this. He's basically saying, God, I know you say you're a God of grace. I don't need that. I can do some things that can make myself right with you without you having to do that. You don't need to be gracious. You don't need to die on the cross. I can take this. 
And so it starts to get pretty serious here to realize that it's not just some simple thing of saying, oh, it's not that big a deal. It is. Actually, what we're doing when we leave the gospel of grace and the God of grace is we're making ourselves out to be God. We're saying, I have the power of reconciliation in my hands. I can do enough to be right with God. I can do enough to keep myself right with God. And when I do that, I feel pretty good. I feel prideful. I think highly of myself. And when I don't, I have the ugly side of pride, which is despair, discouragement, and depression. But in either case, it's thinking too highly of myself compared to the way God says it is. It's leaving the God of grace for another God, the God of self. And what's ironic about it is that we do this in an attempt to be right with God. That's strange, isn't it? It's not like we're saying as believers, I don't, I don't need the God of grace. I'm going to go do this myself. We say, I want to be close to God. I want to be right with God. So I'm going to do these things to be merit favor with God. And it's ironic that that's the exact thing that's taking us away from the enjoyment of the God of grace. So Paul is amazed that they would desert God himself. He's amazed how quickly they desert him. He's amazed that it is deserting God himself. And then third, he is amazed at their foolishness. Look at verse 6 and 7. That's where I get this idea of foolishness. Paul highlights it in terms of that I see the foolishness of their action. Paul says how quickly they are deserting him for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. So the word gospel literally means good news. That's what the Greek gospel word, gospel word, the word gospel means good news. So let's read it again. He says, I'm amazed how quickly you're deserting him for a different good news, which is really not another good news at all. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? He says, listen, guys, you're, you're leaving the good news for a different good news, and that different good news is not good news. This is foolish. Why would you leave good news for another good news? It's not good news. How is there good news in this message, is what he is saying. He says, do you see the foolishness of what you're doing? How is there good news for believers to leave the God of grace, who says everything is yours in Christ, and to say, I, 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 I'll take care of this. That's foolish. And isn't that what we saw in Genesis 1? In the marriage series, we went back to Genesis. And the picture was, God is creator. He created all things. He created everything for the enjoyment of man. The pinnacle of his creation was man. And he's pictured as the one who sees what's good for man. And he provides what's good for man. He gives them everything they need for the enjoyment of God in their midst. And all they have to do is trust and obey him, enjoy it. He's keeping them from shame. And, and, and then Satan comes up and they say, hey, let's do a little of this on ourselves. Maybe we can do this on our own. And the whole point was, yeah, it was an act of rebellion, but bigger than that, it was an act of foolishness. How foolish to, to take matters into your own hands when God is providing everything for your enjoyment. When God is providing everything you need, and that's the gospel message. That as sinners, you need forgiveness and righteousness because you can't do this on your own, but praise God that through Jesus Christ, He gives it as a gift. And for us to accept that and then to say, but now I'm going to do a little bit on my own, it's the same foolishness. To think that we, the created ones, who have been poisoned by sin, are going to go and earn some merit? 
All we can do each day is to say, I can't do that. And praise God, he's covering me with the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's declaring me righteous. So Paul is amazed at their foolishness. It is foolish for us to take the gospel message and say, okay, I got it, I got in. But now, every day, I'm imprisoned by the bars of trying to be accepted, trying to stay accepted with God. Paul's amazed at how quickly they desert him. Paul's amazed that they desert God himself. Paul's amazed at the foolishness of the whole concept. Finally, Paul is amazed at the deception of these false teachers. Now, here's where it gets ugly. Up to this point in the letter, Paul's saying, Look, man, I'm amazed. I love you guys. You're new believers. But man, y'all are drifting quick. I was just there. And now he blows a holy gasket. He just loses it. Verse 7, second part of verse 7. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort this gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is anathema. I screamed that so loud last week, some of you jumped out of your seats. Trying to hold back a little bit today. He is to be accursed. And then he goes on. He says, as we said before, I say to you again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is anathema. He is to be accursed. That word anathema or accursed literally means to be detestable to God, having nothing to do with God, eternally condemned by God, damned by God. Paul doesn't have a stronger vocabulary word to use for these false teachers. To the church who've received his preaching, who have received the message, he says, man, I'm amazed at how quickly you're drifting. And to those who are teaching, he says, anathema. That's why James says, you want to be a teacher? You better be careful. Why does he get so drastic about this? Why does he get so upset? Well, a couple of things I want to point out. First of all, because of the subtle nature of heresy. The definition of heresy is truth with a mixture of error. The problem is you don't know where the error is. Truth with a mixture of half-truth. Truth with a mixture of three-quarters truth. And truth with a mixture of a, of a nine-tenths truth. Guess what? The whole thing is untrue. And that's what's going on here. And it's so deceptive and so subtle. They probably came in to them and he says, Now you know what we preach because you received it. It's not like he's having to say, uh, This is obviously wrong. I think these preachers came in and said, listen, let me clarify what Paul meant. What Paul meant was, Jesus is the Messiah, he rose from the grave. These aren't the Jews that crucified Messiah. These aren't the Jews that said he's not the Messiah. Where after he was dead, buried, and rose again, they said, oh. These are the ones that said, oh, he was Messiah. And they say, yes, Jesus is Messiah. 
And they come in and say, but, but he didn't do away with all of Moses' teaching. Jesus fulfilled the teaching, so we, we have Jesus and we keep the teaching. Let me clarify what Paul's saying is that you need Jesus and you need to obey to be right with God. And so if you want to come in and be a part of our community of God-fearers and faithful and, and those who put faith in Jesus, you need to also be circumcised and keep the laws of Moses. And Paul says, no, anathema. That is not what I just taught you. How dare them? That message will condemn you to hell and so condemn them to hell for teaching you and leading you down that path. That is a lie. Let them be accursed. So the first reason is that this message is condemning those who hear it. And it's deceptive because it sounds a lot like truth. It has a lot of truth in it, but it's not the truth. Second aspect of it is the people who usually teach heresy don't usually come in wearing a red costume with horns and a pitchfork. They come in looking like me. They come in looking like Paul, an apostle, who has the authority of the church who has the authority of God. And Paul says, beware. They come in saying, I had an encounter with God. And he says, I don't care if I come in. I was just arguing for my apostolic authority. And now I'm telling you, if I come in and tell you something different, it's a lie. And may I be condemned. If an angel comes in here, if anyone has authority, it's angels, right? Well, I don't care if an angel comes in here representing God. You better just tell him he's condemned because he's not telling you the gospel that I've taught you. Paul is amazed at how deceptive this message is. A subtle change in the truth. Truth with three quarters truth. I mean, we got to obey. We need to repent of sin, but not to earn merit with God. And if we get that subtle truth wrong, we've thrown the whole gospel of, of grace out the window. As a preacher, I have a tremendous responsibility to get this right. And it is extremely hard because I'm drifting down that same stream that you drift down. I have a strong undercurrent of legalism in my heart that wants to say, I got to do something right for God today. Last week, in one of my closing prayers at one of the services, as I'm trying to teach the church to get it right, I get it wrong in my own heart. So that's just warning, warning. I'm praying, Lord, at the end of the service, forgive us. And in my heart, I am sincere and I'm saying, Lord, forgive us for getting the gospel wrong. That's true. But in my heart, I felt condemnation. And that's not the gospel. And God just, and I said, but thank you. That's covered in Jesus. And that's how it works. 
is there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we'll flesh out how this works. So what does... We'll look at how, so what are the commands in the scriptures? How do we deal with that? What do we do when we sin? How do we think through that? Why do anything? I had someone uh, that you probably could all guess because he's hilarious. He came out of the church. Well, it sounds like to me, you're done. You know, why are you going to preach next week? You've already got it out there. Just let it go. And I said, no, we've got to remind ourselves every week of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. So Paul is amazed at the deceptive nature of these false teachers. And it is a dire warning to anyone who would dare respond to the God's call to lead others. Is that we in the offices have sat around and said, you know what, this is bringing revival in our hearts. The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, we've been saying, you know, we've got to do all these things that we're doing. But the main thing we've got to do with our community group leaders as we equip them is to saturate their hearts in the gospel and to help them articulate how the gospel saturates every aspect of our lives. And as they do that, to the benefit of the members, there will be a revival here. But it's not easy. It's not easy because every day we wake up and how quickly we drift from this beautiful, glorious message of righteousness as a gift through Jesus Christ, not through anything that we could do to earn it. So what do we do with this? First of all, if you have never understood this message, I'm talking to you who grew up in church. You may even have witnessed to somebody and they got saved. I'm talking to you. Don't think, okay, this is where he talks to unbelievers. No, I'm talking to you, talking to me. Have you ever really understood that every ounce of your righteousness was earned by Jesus alone? Or... It, it's not yours. It's like Jesus took the impossible exam, live perfectly by faith in God. And he did it. He got a hundred. And you took the test and you got an F because every one of us does. And then God said, if you want it, I'll give him, I'll give you his grade. hundred percent. And I'll take that F and I'll wipe it out and I'll make you righteous and holy, acceptable in God's eyes. And that's not just to start with. That's every day of your rest of your life. I will credit his righteousness to your account. That's the gospel message. If you haven't understood that, beware calling yourself a Christian. Because the Christian message is about the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to scare you out of your salvation. But if you have understood that and you thought it like I did most of the time, then we need to admit that we are like these Galatians, how quickly we drift from that. And let's commit to saturating ourselves in the gospel. Understanding how do we view all of life. How does getting this message produce within us the power to defeat the sin that we know is so destructive? How does getting this gospel right produce within us a freedom from the bars of trying to be accepted in God's eyes? How does it produce within us a joyful worship of God? How does it produce within us a desire to be who God wants us to be? How does it not negate all those things? 
Because he, you do because you're accepted. You don't do in order to be accepted. And that's every bit of the difference in the world. Let's pray together. Father God, we confess how quickly we turn from this and drift from this. And this week I get it right. And you still don't condemn us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. May we too be amazed of the foolishness to leave such a glorious message. And people here all over the place who have never trusted only in the righteousness of Christ as the only hope for their own righteousness, may they turn today and trust in the glorious good news and be set free, be rescued. And Lord, may we, um, who have been set free, reallocate that truth in our lives every hour, every day. We have been rescued. We've been set free, free to give of ourselves to others out of a joyful heart, free to give of our time, our energy, our resources, free to share others this incredible, wonderful good news free from hypocrisy, free from condemnation, free from judging others and their sin, free from all those things that bind us up and imprison us, free from the penalty of sin, the punishment of sin. May we live reckoning daily this good news. This good news doesn't do it justice, Lord unbelievable, amazing news of amazing grace. May we be transformed daily as believers by the gospel of Jesus Christ.